It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming to you from hometown America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, Bedford, Virginia. Welcome to Cop Talk. I'm Captain Robert Kimbrell. And I'm Sergeant Joe Dooley. And Joe, I, I guess what are we in deer season now? Is that what we're Yeah, with the with in Bedford County, it started early this year with rifles starting early a couple weeks, but uh we are starting uh muzzleloader season starts. I don't know. If, I think it starts this Saturday. Okay. Because uh, I know that there, we've had some people calling in about gunshots and things mm-hmm. like that here in gunshots. Yeah. Well, rifle season in Bedford County started early, started in September. And this year it also extends later. Um, there's an early rifle season. Uh, then it goes out, I think, October the 6th. I don't have my calendar. And then bow season came in then. It's always on a Saturday. Yeah. So if that's not a Saturday, I, I don't have it in front of me. And then you have two weeks of that, I believe. And then... Muzzle loader comes in for two weeks and rifle comes in and this time rifle comes in again and stays in all the way, I think, until like the end of January. Yeah, I think folks in Bedford County, Joe, would probably say that uh, deer strikes, you know, vehicle versus deer strikes are kind of a year round thing, you know. And uh, I know that I seem to see a lot more deer strikes during hunting season, it seems. Maybe it's just in my head, you know, throughout the the rest of the, you know, the Commonwealth of Virginia. But, uh, you know. Yeah, and you not only all you know have those deer out there, but you also have bear. Joe, have you had any any bear lately? Any bear bear incidents to your place? Um, as far as like personally, yeah, um, I didn't know about that bear that was. They just we just had to move one out of the road on four sixty the other day that somebody hit. Oh, wow. It wasn't in town; it was at the town limits. Um, what about that personal bear that's been around your place? I haven't seen him. Oh, okay, so that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, you know and. And yeah, unfortunately, there are some some bears that get struck by vehicles and and things like that, you know. And and I saw Bear Joe the other day crossing over in Amherst, you know, crossing the street, mm-hmm. and he kind of had his ear tucked in. I couldn't tell if he's missing an ear, Joe, or if if it's just tucked back. It's probably just tucked back, you know, the way I, I saw him. But but Woody, you do know about the bear with an without an ear, right? What what a bear without an ear is? No, no, what's that? It's a bee. Get, get, see what I did there? Uh-huh. B E A R Joe. You see that? Yeah, Ear. Did I? B. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, well, what I was gonna. <laughs> on, on another on a side note, um, a lot of times with what you said, people say, "Yeah, people go out in the woods and they're hunting, and it's scaring the deer out into the road, and that's what's causing more accidents." I'll tell you the truth. We have the best 
uh, this area, Central Virginia. I mean, sure, there's other places in the country and other states. Um, but as far as like the ecosystem for deer population, I mean, even with the coyote population here, it's still um, a population boom as far as as far as deer go. But this is the time of the year when there's more food and more locations for for the deer because the acorns and things are starting to drop. Um, it's also the beginning of the rut. Okay, and for those of you who don't know, that's the mating season. And at that point in time, there's a lot more movement and a lot more times during the day, not just and not just in the evenings. Of course, early evenings, um, late mornings are the most prevalent time. But now the the younger deer at the end of the summer are now becoming more independent, and they're starting to, you know, make their own way around doing things and they're not as savvy as some of the older more mature deer to not be in the road but i think it's just a culmination of a lot of that um between the mating season and the food supplies being changing because you know as one as one group like pin oak um trees they seem to drop acorns early so september but then you have white oak and things like that to drop later and deer move more to follow the food sources and as those food sources move they the deer do the same thing and the other thing you'll see is if you have a lot of snow or if you have any snow or anything like that uh that they put down a salt mixture on the roadway the animals that you see will actually come out and lick the salt off the edge of the road hmm. for the mineral purposes so lots of things that go into it i'm not a i'm not a biologist or anything but i, I i've learned to kind of pay attention and ask people that are smarter than me to learn so that's what i've been told absolutely and uh, bedford police department actually we uh, take part in a program to try to help with the deer population and and try to cut down on some of those vehicles from being uh you know people hitting deer and whatnot and damaging the vehicle and possibly getting injured themselves because you know we've had people get injured by striking deer mm -hmm. uh and you know it's possible for a deer to come up there and come through the windshield and all sorts of stuff joe yeah. so they cause uh, property damage, not just on vehicles, but to uh, gardens and, and uh, landscaping and things like that. Too. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that, uh, and, and one of the big reasons why we do this is because uh, every deer that Bedford PD has, uh, has any type of interaction with, uh, that deer, when it's taken down, goes to the hunters for the hungry to feed folks out there that are, are hungry, that are in need. Uh, so it's not, uh, I don't want anybody to ever think that the program is just, oh, we're going to go out there and hunt a deer and then just leave them there, or, nope. you know, for the buzzards or for the, you know, Doesn't vultures. Or Absolutely. That, uh, and we've had a lot of positive responses from folks saying, Hey, you know, I wouldn't have been able to even have meat in the freezer if it wasn't for this program. And, and, uh, you know, these people that were, uh, a lot of folks, Joe, I guess, take for granted that, you know, they can go out and buy a turkey or buy a ham or buy whatever, you know, yeah. uh, for, for the holidays, for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And these people wouldn't have had any of that mm -hmm. if uh, any meat at all. The other thing you cases. can do is, um, I mean, anybody that hunts, if if you have a, I mean, you have a tag, you have a, a, a number of a limit and then you can buy an extended tag so you can hunt more and you can donate those as well. You take them to any processing place and tell them that you want to donate it and you you the the people that do the donation to the processing plant pay the pay to have it done mm -hmm. so it you know like I said, it doesn't cost anything for the individuals that are receiving it from the food banks and things like that so i've done that a few times if, yeah. if i put a 
a deer or two in the in the freezer and I'll go out and pay the processing fee. Yeah. Donate. That's a nice thing. And and you do that kind of stuff all the time, Joe. And and that's uh definitely a rewarding feeling to know that, you know, you're helping other families out there and whatnot as well. Uh Joe, I know that you I probably mentioned to you because I think you you asked me the other day what's you know what's going on with me and and I think I told you about my my cats right that that I thought mm-hmm. somebody might be poisoning my cats or something I was like confused because you know I've I have cats there and I have one that's named Lola and all the cats seem to be coming to my house to begin with like feral cats mm-hmm. and everything uh, but we have this one that we call Lola and uh, and she had uh, you know a, a baby cat and kittens and everything and and so um one of those kittens uh i still haven't located again but she's still got her other baby kitten there and then then she she had gone missing and we have another one like one of my cats uh is named bam bam and then we have one called pebbles right Mm -hmm. um and you know i had not seen lola i had not seen her baby kitten i had not seen pebbles and my Bam Bam had left and Bam Bam is like, looks like a little lynx. He's this big cat. I mm-hmm. mean, he's, he's just really, you know, just slim and stealthy and, and just like a perfect specimen of a, of a cat. But he, uh, he, he's so big and that the, the, uh, vet that we took him to actually said, actually, this is a special breed of cat. You know, he's mm-hmm. got these longer legs and everything, um, that I was worried, man, did somebody shoot my cat on accident or what's going on? But, you know, think it was something else. And so all of those cats were missing, Joe. And you heard me talking about that. I was like, man, I got to go. I, I need to go out there and go into that wood line, check and see what I can find and, you know, see if there's, they're being trapped or what's going on there. And, and so yesterday I did that after I got home from work, right before you called me, actually. Right. I was actually out there in the wood line back uh, behind my house. And I walked through that wood line, walked over into to this other area and was checking around this picnic shelter and whatnot and uh, didn't see anything. And then I was coming back through um, a bamboo area mm-hmm. that is, is on my property actually. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm looking through the bamboo trying to say like, you know, see if there's any cats or anything that I could see any type of, of uh, evidence of animals like coyotes or, or right. anything like that. And uh, all of a sudden above me, you know, and I'm like, dang, man. And I, at first I was like, it's probably just like a a vulture or something, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think it may have been an owl, right? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not not for certain, but it may have been an owl. And I'm thinking that that owl or, or, you know, or whatever it was, a hawk, an owl, whatever, a bird of prey. Right. Those had had those cats in hiding because all of them came home last night. Oh, after really? after I scared that that bird off, I that I, I didn't even see up there. Yeah. Um, I heard it, but I didn't see it. Uh, all of them actually just came home, and now it it was like like a week that huh. they were going. You know, so uh, well, so I'm thankful for that. People don't realize, especially if if it was an owl or or a, or a hawk. I mean, yeah. you see them at a distance. Yeah, um, they're huge. Red tail hawks are pretty big. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, the great horned owl. I hear them around the house all the time. Those things are humongous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I, like I said, I haven't been able to find one of those other baby kittens. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking maybe something happened that way. Maybe the owl or the hawk or whatever it was may have gotten that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of them survived that. And actually, once I scared that bird away, hmm. um, well, I'm glad they yeah. came back. Yeah, I am too. So that I'm thank God for that. That's for sure. You know, and Joe, last week I actually, while you were out, I shared, uh, a few of the 725 incidents that occurred during the month of September here in the town of Bedford, Virginia. And things have not slowed down, actually, very much uh, during the month of October. And 
And uh, we have had actually two incidents involving subjects with armed, you know, they were actually armed with guns yep. in the past week here. And one involved a foot pursuit of a male suspect who had committed a domestic assault. Mm-hmm. And the other involved a person in a middle crisis, right, Joe? Yep. And uh, in both of these incidents, the subject actually had the gun in his hand. It was not a situation where the gun was just concealed on the person and located during a search of the person. Uh, nope. The person was actually holding and actually brandishing the firearm in these cases. And and I'm happy to report that the officers were able to bring the situations under control in both of these incidents without a shot being fired. Nobody was injured or killed. And a major reason for this was the subjects in both situations were receptive to de-escalation techniques and tactics that were used by law enforcement officers. And unfortunately, this is not always the case. And, you know, when given the time and opportunity, we always try to slow things down and bring them to a peaceful conclusion. But the number one factor that determines if we can actually do this is that the person that we are dealing with must be willing to cooperate with the process. Right. And Joe, you know, you always do such a great job and such great police work, and it is not unusual to see the great things that you do and the way that you interact with the public. And in fact, you know, we've received uh, survey results that named you specifically in several of those. And you recently got a commendation, a chief's commendation for that, you know, and you consistently go above and beyond what is expected of a law enforcement professional. So I personally thank you for that, Joe. And and, you know, you were the watch commander during one of these incidents and you were off, you know, during the other one, which I actually went to the scene on. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the things that are important when dealing with incidents such as these is you must have well-trained and experienced personnel on the law enforcement side to start the process of de-escalation. But what do you think, Joe, about what I just said about the positive and safe conclusions being dependent on the person that is having the interaction with the police? Well, I mean, you can't have open dialogue and communication unless both parties are willing uh, participants and reciprocants of um, recipients, I should say, of of and willing to participate. Um, we've talked about that in the past here on, on um, previous shows that, you know, we can do everything in our power to deescalate everything that we know, everything we've been trained on, everything that we can think of. But you have to have someone that's willing to be able to listen. But um. That, that's the biggest part is not everyone is willing to listen. And, and if they have a mindset that they're going to do something or they're going to force us to do something, there's, there's a lot of times that law enforcement can't change that mindset or that decision. Um, and that's, it's unfortunate. But in these two situations and scenarios that played out, um, the officers did the right things, said the right things, um, listened, which is a big part of it. They didn't just talk at the subject. They listened to what the subject was saying, repeated stuff back for confirmation. Uh, I mean, our incident, I don't, I'm not sure about the other one, but I'm sure it's very similar that, that you went to. Um, but they were willing to listen. Uh, we actually had an issue because we were outside. Uh, it was windy the other day. And the distance between the suspect and us was about 40 yards. And they were close to, not at, but close to, I'd say about 100 yards away or 150 yards away from 460, which is a a busy highway. So between the traffic noise with the tractor and trailers and just traffic and wind and distance, um, we were having a hard time hearing. We actually started using the PA on one of the cars so that we could make sure that the suspect was hearing us. But one of the big points was, you know, you need to come out. You need to put the weapon down. We, we can't hear what you're saying. We're trying to hear you. We want to hear what you're saying, be able to communicate, but we can't hear you. We need you to come closer. 
and uh he, he eventually complied and and like you said everything turned out okay nobody was injured and you know everybody on our end um had a lot of restraint and and a lot of that contributes back to their their training and and their willingness to to be resilient in that training and uh it turned out for the best it could have turned out really bad at any point in time during that that whole evolution but um so i contributed that greatly to the officers that were talking to the individual the other officers more importantly that were not talking because we don't want to have conflicting com commands and statements and cause the uh, suspect or the individual to to do something that one officer perceives as a threat when they were simply following a command that was given that shouldn't have been that interfered with the command so that was one of the big key points that we took away and i told everyone that they did a great job by letting one person do the communication now you may have one individual in an incident like that that communicates and for some reason or the other the subject doesn't want to talk to them and then you have to find somebody else that they're willing to talk to but that that didn't happen with us but i've seen that happen you know they best for some reason they don't like the way the officer looks or they don't like the way they talk yeah and it just pisses them off even more so you've got to learn to adapt and find somebody that can establish a common ground with them yeah it, it can you know and and on those negotiation type situations where they don't even see the officer mm -hmm. or see the person they're talking to uh a lot of times it's just the voice of the person mm -hmm. or the dialect or whatever else, it reminds them of somebody that caused them pain in their past, mm -hmm. whether it was their father, their mother, their Good brother, point. sister, uh, uh, and, you know, it's, uh, a trigger. A, it's a trigger, yeah, it's a trigger, right? Uh, uh, some type of a bully in high school or whatever, but it reminds, and they're like, no, I don't want to talk to that person just well, because of that. And I've seen us, I've, and I've seen the exact same thing with all officers at the scene. Mm -hmm. An officer's there, doesn't say a word. It's just there with us. Yeah. And they're like, I'll talk to you. But I'm not talking to him, and they'll point at yeah. somebody in particular because they have just that is their focus. Yeah. And if you take, you know, officer, you know, if it's an officer safety issue and you need the numbers, keep them there. Yep. But if you don't, and that person is going to be a trigger and prevent de-escalation, even if they've done nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, can you know, just you can clear up and go take some calls or, or whatever. Stay, you can stay close by." It's just for some reason, there's like you said, there's something about that individual for some reason, or maybe they just pick them out because they want to have somebody that they want to be, they want to focus that negative energy towards. And if you can, you know, safely eliminate that, that barrier in your de-escalation, that's also a good thing to do. Yeah. And, and in your case, you know, you had a person in crisis there and were able to successfully, you know, make, you know, oversee that incident as, as a watch commander and had the proper people in the proper places doing the proper things well, at think, the proper times. Well, I think you touched on the exact key there. It's it's not about me. It's it's about the team. Mm -hmm. It's about the individuals that were there that was making up the collective team of what we were doing. Yep. It was and, their abilities to follow the instructions and do their jobs and having the right people in the right places and to do the right thing. And yep. that's that's the biggest component of of, of anybody that has to be in charge of any situation is making sure that, you know, when I went to that scene, I already knew that one of the individuals there was uh, a negotiator. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, that's the best person to talk. They've been trained on what to do, what to say, what not to say. And if for some reason that individual didn't happen to like that particular person, we would have switched to someone else. Yep. But we went with what we had. We used the best trained people that we had in the situation and, and it worked out for the best. Yeah. It, um, in, in the other situation that I was on, uh, it actually was a situation involving a domestic 
uh, assault situation where the subject left the scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, along the way, um, the victim said, hey, you know, this person had a firearm uh, and displayed that firearm last night. So mm-hmm. probably still has that firearm with them. And our officer uh, was able to find that subject coming through uh, some yards and whatnot and uh, actually intercepted that subject, got into a foot pursuit. That subject had that firearm in, in the, you know, in his hand. Uh, and in this case, um, it wasn't quite a negotiation. It was more the fact that the subject in this case listened finally to verbal commands, was able to, you know, separate himself from that weapon. Uh, and the officers didn't have to use less lethal, which was on, on site there. Mm-hmm. 12 gauge less lethal was, was an option didn't have to use a taser, didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to do all these things that could have been done Mm -hmm. because the person simply finally made the right decisions and separated from the gun and, and, and the officers were able to take that person into custody, uh, without incident, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, that's good. And, you know, the other interesting thing, Joe, is you brought up a couple things there that we'll talk about it, you know, is about situations in rural versus urban areas. And, and one of those is actual experience level of tactical teams and crisis negotiation teams, things like that. And some of this is just due to the funding and other limitations outside of their control. But a lot of it is, you know, thankfully due to the fact that high level critical incidents are fewer and far between uh, in most of your rural areas throughout the country. And, and due to this, localities oftentimes do not provide enough funding to their tactical teams and their crisis negotiation teams. Yeah. And pieces of equipment that we took for granted in Hampton Roads, for instance, have never even been made available here in to most of the jurisdictions in Southwest Virginia. And population-wise, yeah, sure, there is a huge difference. For instance, you have you know Bedford County, and uh, Bedford County has a population of eighty thousand one hundred thirty-one people, and then you have Hampton Roads, which has a population in excess of one point seven million. Uh, and here we're lucky to get. 10 officers on the scene, Joe, within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And in Hampton Roads, I could have 50 officers on the scene and, you know, in 10 minutes and several hundred officers in less than an hour during a critical incident. And so, you know, we also had law enforcement air units as well as military air units uh, that we could, uh, you know, utilize. And, and uh, with that said, however, anything can happen in a rural area. And the officers and teams that cover those rural areas need to access, you know, have access to the same type of equipment uh, that the urban teams do, mm-hmm. you know, and in the past I've talked about, you know, t- what it takes, you know, it taking over two years, for instance, to get on an elite tier one unit, uh, a special operations unit, uh, that is actually mission ready to handle hostage rescue. However, equally important, of course, is the hostage crisis negotiation teams. And in, in order to be considered for a tier one attachment, which would be attached to one of our tier one teams, a negotiator not only had to have basic, intermediate, and advanced uh, crisis negotiation training, but it was typical that the, negotiate, the, the negotiator going for a Tier 1 assignment had worked over 200 negotiation incidents in their case history. You know, And it was not uncommon for negotiators, for instance, to sit second or th- even third chair for the first 50 to 100 critical incidents before being allowed to sit as a primary negotiator or what we refer to as first chair in a in negotiation situation. Uh, and it was also a requirement that, you know, those, uh, several of those negotiations had to be involving um, hostages, not just a crisis situation. You know? right. So most of the negotiators, negotiators down there had extensive experience in behavioral science, and most were actually certified as profilers as well. And this gave us an advantage on the tier one team 
when it came to deciding on whether to conduct a dynamic hostage rescue mission, for instance. Uh, and I actually got my communications negotiator and combat medic training because it was a requirement for the selection process to become a tier one operator and uh, be a member of our tier one team. So tier one seems to, you know, teams typically have everyone cross-trained in multiple areas, just in case we suffer casualties, we can still move forward with the mission. And so right. they we train for redundancy. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, and that's down to the last guy, you know, mm -hmm. so we, uh, we ran it where, you know, team lead, like something happens to me, then my assistant team leader would take over right. and could move on. And then if something happens to him and, you know, the next guy and, and all the way down to the last person. And then that person would take over and, you know, keep moving forward with the mission. But so, you know, and while I'm glad that our rural teams out here do not have the number of incidents that a team operating in an urban environment does, I will always feel that rural teams deserve everything that urban teams have access to. Mm -hmm. And you're asking these teams to actually do the same things, but only allowing them to train a couple times per month. And it is, in my opinion, that more full-time teams are actually needed throughout the Commonwealth. And, and I've also been saying for about the past 15 years that all teams better be training in combat small tactics and small unit uh, tactics because the time is quickly approaching, you know, that U.S. law enforcement will have to go up against terrorists and other organizations using squad tactics. Mm -hmm. And even if you do not have a tier one special operations team in your area, your tactical team better be training, you know, to combat small unit tactics. And time should be spent at the shift level as well, Joe, like, you know, you do with your shift and, and others do with their shifts. But for the regular 911 patrol officers, time better be spent training those officers in small unit tactics as well, you yeah. know? Well, that's one of the benefits that I think if you can take the time to do that with your individuals, it's better to make a mistake in training than to make a mistake in an actual incident. And when you take the time, you know, everyone realizes that law enforcement is not only short as far as across the country in numbers, there's also a high turnover. Well, I may train a team three years ago that now a year and a half later, I've got a new member or one of my experienced members has gone to a different uh, shift or left altogether. So it's important that you keep up to date with relevant training, not only to make sure that you're employing the best tactics and if something that you're doing needs to change and needs to be modified and updated, um, so that you can stay on top of the, the latest and greatest at, at the time. But to make sure that everyone is on the same page, knows what to expect and knows what to do. Like you said, um, I have a, a corporal that I have every bit of confidence in that if something were to happen to me, he would take right over and be able to roll in and do what he needs to do. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Um, does he have a limited experience? Yes. But do I feel confident in his ability to get the job done? Yes. And that's because we take the time to teach and train up. So, you know, I, I'm not going to hold all the information to myself trying to make myself more marketable or make myself, you know, it's like a, like a power struggle. You want to train someone that's working with you to take your position, to take your job, because one day they may have to do it in a dynamic situation and there's going to come a day in their career that, you know, you retire or you leave to go to a, a private industry or something else that they're going to need to have that experience. And if you're not teaching and training them to take your position and move further ahead, then you're failing as a leader and as a supervisor. So if you're not out there training with your guys so that you're all on the same page, your, your failure to train is going to be a catastrophic, catastrophic failure. Uh, and if an actual critical incident happens. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And I, I agree 100%, you know, training, equipment, you know, technology, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all that has to remain current. And, um, you know, and, and I think that Woody can actually probably, uh, you know, actually relate with this one, Woody, you know, it, I guess, Joe, I, I don't know if I've ever told you about what, what Yoda said when he got 4K TV. Did I tell you this? No. Oh, well, when, when Yoda got 4K TV, Woody, he said, oh, HDMI. Uh-huh. Right, Joe? Yeah. yeah. See I, what I, I remember that. Yeah. I remember I, 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 I sound just like Yoda. You do. See, I can, yeah. So, uh, you know, as our regular listeners know, Joe, you know, you know, you were absent from Cop Talk last week, and you were completing the FBI Lita Supervisor Leadership Institute. And, uh, I was. You know, Joe, are there a couple of things maybe that you just want to mention that come to mind that you discussed maybe during SLI. Sure. Um, one of them was exactly what I just mentioned. And, uh, just a minute ago was making sure that you're being a leader who is training people to take your position, to take your job. You know, um, you shouldn't feel that someone is a threat to your job. You shouldn't be withholding information from your people. Um, because those are the people that you're counting on. You're, you're, your most valuable asset and commodity in any business or industry are the people that are there. You want them to be the smartest and the brightest and the most well-trained. And you also want them to be able to step up into your position if it's required to do so. Um, the other thing is to inspire people. You know, you have to let people know a couple of things that are important that you actually care about them. They're not just a number. Absolutely. They're, they're not irrelevant. Um, you have to let them know that they're, while their ideas may not be taken for a specific project or a situation, that their ideas are important. Um, the other thing is you want to make sure that, that people genuinely feel appreciated. Um, studies have shown that people's work performance are much better um, as an orchestrated team when they feel like they're heard, there's open communication. Just because someone brings something to me doesn't mean that we have to do it. But I, I think it's important that I explain to them if we didn't do 
and when the time is right, if, if I explain to them that we didn't do it because of this and not just leave it as well, we're going to do it this way because I said so, that they understand that I was at least willing to listen to what they had to say. But I also had other things that were important to making sure the job got done in a specific way or during a specific time. And while their idea would have been incorporated, maybe if we had more time or if, or if there wasn't a specific end result, um, I think it's important that they don't feel like that their ideas are diminished and they start feeling insecure uh, about their work or about their thoughts. And uh, the other thing is taking the time to make sure that you don't just discipline someone negatively. Um, that starts to kill morale. It starts to make them feel less of a person and start looking for other things that's going to make them feel better about themselves. Um, you want to make sure that if you do have to discipline, you do it in private. Don't berate somebody in public. Uh, terrible leadership is to call someone out in the middle of, you know, if, if say my corporal did something wrong, I'm not going to call him out in the middle in front of the squad sure. for that reason, because then it makes him look inferior to the people that are also his subordinates when he's in the leadership um, role in my absence. Um, the other thing is make sure you're, you're disciplined positive, positively uh, and praising when appropriate. And uh, the other big thing is to make sure documentation is taken care of accurately, because if there is a persistent problem, and even if you've seen it, you worked in a large department that had a lot of officers. If you had an officer that was a persistent problem and it wasn't properly being documented and the supervisor was being negligent in their documentation of supervision, um, that individual may transfer out of that unit to another unit. And then there's no documentation for the new supervisor to review. And that problem still persists. And now that supervisor starts to document. And that problem may now grow to the point that it's been happening so long that it becomes a bigger problem that was something minor that could have been addressed or fixed. Maybe they're having trouble at home. Maybe they're having trouble with uh, substance abuse like alcohol, stress, mental health, things like that. Well, now it's gone on so long and it's progressively. It's like a snowball. Started to roll downhill, started to pick up speed. Wasn't documented, wasn't taken care of. Now it's a big issue. Then you go back and look, and it could have been maybe handled well before you could have saved somebody's career or saved somebody's life. So I think that's some of the biggest takeaways that I took from the class last week. Well, that's great. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those, Joe. And you're exactly right. You know, and and I think that, uh, you know, for for folks out there uh, that maybe aren't studying leadership and and this kind of thing, you know, but but uh, even folks that are just you know out there watching movies and stuff like that, Joe, in their free time, mm -hmm. you know. Kind of what what you were saying is almost like that that scene in Rudy, you know, what kind of where where you know R Rudy was told by the coach, hey, you're gonna dress one one game next year, we're gonna dress you, and then that coach ends up leaving, mm -hmm. and the new coach had no notes, had nothing, no idea that about that. So when Rudy went and said, hey, when can I dress? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, and he almost didn't get to, yep. you know, because of that. And so that's that's a good point, you know, making sure that. You're not failing to supervise because failing to supervise just doesn't mean that you're not out there with your people and, and you know, overseeing incidents and things like that. Failing to supervise is exactly what Joe was talking about. It's about failing to document things uh, and, and failing to pass along uh, important things even to the next shift, you know, from, from one shift to the other. Uh, but failing to supervise and failing your people is also about failing to document, like Joe was saying, the good and the bad, you know. So... Uh, because, you know, 
evaluations show evaluations can be negative. Mm-hmm. You know, evaluation time, personnel evaluations become it can become a negative thing very quickly in a police department or any other uh, you know organization. If the people are like, man, I'm only being judged by my last worst action. True. Right. And uh, but what Joe is saying is is, you know, perfectly sensible and, you know, that you have to have those notes year round Mm -hmm. and give your people positive feedback. Hey, you're doing a great job here. You're doing a great job here. Oh, can you improve in these areas here? You know, yep. and give them time to improve throughout the year. Don't just come up there to that annual evaluation and all of a sudden spring it on them and say, hey, you're an unsatisfactory, uh, you know, employee because of these reasons. Here's the other other end of the spectrum for mm-hmm. that. It's the other extreme. Mm-hmm. There's documentation all along the way, but they have a glowing review on their their yeah. evaluation. Yeah. And it doesn't match up. Yeah. It's like, well, how can you give them fours and fives being uh, exceeds or um greatly exceeds expectations. Yep. And then you have all this documentation throughout the year that they've failed. They had maybe multiple instances of the same thing where they, they needed to be um, coached and trained on one, one item. Mm-hmm. And then it became an issue again, a month or two later. Yeah. And then it was another issue. Like such things as like being late for work or improper import or poor work performance, yeah. or unsatisfactory conduct. Um, you can't have that either. Yeah. I mean, that's that to me is a leader. That's not a leader. That's a manager. And that's a manager who doesn't <clears throat> wants to avoid conflict. And if you are going to be anything to anybody, the best thing you can do is have those tough conversations and have enough uh, intestinal fortitude to be able to say the things that are hard to say when they need to be said the most. Because if you don't have what it takes to say it, then you're not doing anybody any favors. If you're trying to make everybody your friend, you're not you're not doing them any favors. You're not doing the the people that depend on whatever your company or in our case, the citizens that rely on our work, because if you're doing poor performance in your reports or you're doing poor in your investigations um, and you still get great reviews on your performance evaluation, it's not, that's poor customer service and it's poor leadership. You're right, Joe. And, and, you know, in a lot of cases, a poor evaluation for a, an employee reflects on you and lack of leadership. A lot of times it reflects on the leader because, right. You know, if the leader is doing their job and giving that feedback constantly, it can't be once a year. It has to be constantly, mm-hmm. you know, at the very least, Joe, quarterly. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, if you could do it, you know, just do it 12 times a year and that's monthly. If you would just do it monthly and get up with each of your employees behind closed doors separately and say, hey, I really appreciate these things that you did this past month. You know, you're looking good in, in doing this. You know, I saw a lot of improvement from last year, you know, in, in these situations. Yep. Um, and here's some areas that I would ask you to work on, uh, you know, during the month, and then during the next month and during, you know, the rest of the year. Why not? And then the next month, the same thing. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I've now I've seen improvement with some of these areas mm-hmm. we talked about. They were your weaknesses. You know, those are now becoming your strengths and, and help these people along, well, you know. And if you do that on a regular basis, you're going to be more in tune with your individuals that work for you. Yeah. And if you're more in tune with them, you're going to be able to pay more attention to when things start to go wrong yep. a lot sooner. And that's a lot, that's a lot of times something that you can do to prevent um, future negative conduct before it becomes something so glaring and, and um, observable that it becomes a problem that prevents them from continuing in their career or becomes something in, in our line of work that becomes a civil liability or a uh, detriment to the public or 
or the department. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's the little things that count. You know, Coach John, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Joe, that uh, was coach of University of Miami for national championships at Miami and then went on to the NFL and coached uh, Dallas to some championships and whatnot. You know, one of the things he said, Joe, that made sense with me is that he would never come on, on like his players would come off the sideline, you know, and, and at a timeout or whatever in Miami. And he chose his words carefully as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, say that it was third down and two uh, and they called a timeout to get everything set and ready. He said, I would never look at my running back and say, OK, you're getting the ball. Don't fumble. Don't fumble. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, because. The guy's already nervous, and he goes out there. He knows he's getting the ball, and all of a sudden, psychologically, his head is leaving out the don't, and he's hearing fumble, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, don't and, filter. Right. So he said, I would always choose my words carefully, and I would say things like protect the ball. Right. You know, I wouldn't say don't miss this one, don't miss this catch. I would say, you know, make this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and he would, he would try, and what he was saying is use positive Posit- terminology. Positive reinforcement. Exactly. That will... That, that regarding a negative situation. That's right. That's right. And, you know, um, you know, this one and Woody, I'm going to ask for your, uh, for your comment on this after this story here, I'll go to Joe and then, and then I want to hear what you have to say about this one too. So this is actually a story here, uh, that in this is a true story, the body of a heavily armed man was found by staff at a Colorado adventure park and investigators suspect an attack of devastating proportions was in the makings according to the Garfield County Sheriff's Office. The discovery was made Saturday, October 28th at Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. The man's identity and cause of death have not been released, but we do know that he was a 22-year-old and lived in the Carbondale area about 13 miles south of Glenwood Springs. The suspect had been heavily armed with a semi-automatic rifle and semi-automatic handgun and multiple loaded magazines for both weapons. He was wearing body armor and what appeared to be a ballistic helmet. Additionally, multiple improvised explosives, IEDs, were discovered with the suspect. A vehicle believed to have been driven by the man was found at the scene and also held explosives. So one of the things that I didn't, that's not in this little story here, Joe, is not only uh, did he have the ballistic helmet, the body armor, but he also was wearing clothing uh, that was dark colored, probably like a BDU style mm-hmm. and actually had patches on his uniform resembling law enforcement. Wow. Okay. So Joe, you know, it looks like we dodged one here and there never seems to be a shortage of people wanting to hurt other people. What do you think about this? Uh, this is, a, oh, excuse me. This is the first time I've, I've heard of, of this incident. So I really don't know what, exactly what to make of it. I yeah. mean, in my mind, the first thing I started thinking of was, okay, someone who's having mental health crisis. Um, my mind is racing right now with lots of different ideas, so I'll just throw some of them out there sporadically. Uh, individual in a mental health crisis. Um, someone who either maybe has an anti-government or uh, anti-establishment uh, type of mentality. Uh, an extremist, if you will. Yeah. Um, someone who just wants to cause chaos and hurt individuals um, for some reason or another. And they're utilizing what would appear to be, um, I mean, if, if you saw a law enforcement officer wearing body armor, you would think nothing of it as a general public other than, I wonder what that guy's doing. But mm-hmm. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't raise a super heightened level of alarm for someone. Yeah. So it's almost like it, maybe the individual was trying to lure people into a false sense of security 
to inflict as much damage as possible. And and the only thing I can think of in my mind as far as someone like that is that is a completely, uh, utterly deranged and evil individual. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you don't show up to amusement park with multiple weapons and explosives unless you mean to do harm. Right. You know, so it's going to be interesting. This is so early in this investigation. When did this come out? Uh, October 28th. Okay. Uh, that... I don't have any other information on this, but it will be very interesting to find out if one of his own explosives killed him. Well, I'm sure the the, the agencies that are working up there in Glenwood Springs are not releasing it, not because they don't want to, but they want to make sure they have accurate information to ensure that maybe this individual is working alone. Yeah. Or to try to find out what his mindset was before they just throw stuff out there. And I, and I applaud them. I know that people don't really like the fact that they're, oh, they're withholding information. They're not being transparent. Well, they are hold withholding information for the benefit of making sure that they are accurate. The worst thing you can do is just start throwing out just random sporadic ideas. And then, I mean, we see that enough in, in the general public and the media and, and social media is really terrible about it. If they don't, it's one thing I also heard in the class. If you don't put the information out there in a reasonable amount of time, they're going to either dig it up somewhere else or the facts are going to get filled in for you, if, yeah. even if they're not facts, quote unquote. And I got air quotes going. Yeah. And in, in this case, I mean, I think that the sheriff's office has done what they can by releasing the information, uh, including the subject's age, the subject's, uh, uh, it was a male you mm -hmm. know, subject. They're making the public um, aware of pertinent information, yeah. but they don't have enough to release to give you the whole story. And it's not fair right. to the, just put whatever out there. Yeah, the way he was dressed and the fact that he had multiple weapons and explosives. That gives you a pretty good idea that he wasn't there to just have a fun day at the amusement park. Right. You know. Nope. So what do you, what do you think about that from from your standpoint? I I agree with uh I agree with Joe. Like I, I think that one it sounds it sounds like mental health, but like you said the the fact that people would go to that extent at an amusement park to cause harm is so just disturbing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so sad. It's like, ah, oh, I say you can't, you can't go to a place that's meant for just pure fun right. without something this like a, that in the background. Yeah. It's a place where you bring your family. Yeah. You know, and no one is going there and like you said, threat condition one on the water slide. Yeah. Thinking that I need to be, you know, head on a swivel watching my six all yeah. the time. Yeah. But anymore, I find myself when I go places that I'm, I'm not super like, it's not like, oh, I'm hyper vigilant. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing up in Maine. You know, people at yep. a bowling alley, right? And, yep. and another establishment just out to have a good time. Uh, and, and somebody that is in crisis, we'll just put it that way, you know, goes there to, to hurt people. And I lived in that area for, See? for about six months and, um, uh, quiet community the areas around it it's rural yeah um, has a, a, a quite a that that town has a large a larger population kind of like the population of bedford county yeah. and uh i mean you know i'm i'm sure that they're reeling from you know it's a tight-knit community yeah um, and and you've heard me you know i'm not going to get uh, into it now because we're running out of time joe but you you know you know where i stand and most of our regular listeners know where i stand on the mental health situation and the mental health crisis we're having in the United States, and especially here in Virginia, where more money and more resources need to be put towards mental health, you know, uh, and and it's it's not helping that the only person, practically that the the person in crisis is having contact with, 
is a law enforcement professional that has to be there because this person's under an emergency, you know, an ECO or a TDO, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for all of our listeners out there, they're going, well, why would we be holding them on a TDO? Well, here in Virginia, we're having to, instead of transport a person on a temporary detention order, like it, it was meant to be mm-hmm. legally, they have a, you know, not only sitting eight hours with an ECO, but then days with this person on a TDO where this person's getting no treatment at all. And with the mental health people and professionals out there saying that they're, they're getting some type of treatment. No medication is not treatment. That's putting a bandaid on a gunshot wound. Right. You know, this person needs treatment and then we're spending more time with them. A lot of times, Joe, Mm Then the then the medical professionals and the, uh, the 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 mental health professionals are because they get them for what like seventy two hours and they kick them back loose. More, yeah, you know, more likely. I mean, unless it's something extreme. Yeah, yeah. usually it's a couple of days and then they're 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 back out. So, Joe, this is about the time of the podcast where we pay tribute to a fallen officer canine. Yes, today I'd like to pay tribute to canine in uh, Kenzo from the Pima County Sheriff's Department in Pima, Arizona. Canine Kenzo was strangled while attempting to apprehend two armed suspects. The incident occurred at 873, uh, 853, there's no 873, 853 p.m. while searching for two suspects in an armed robbery. Deputies witnessed one of the men entering a fenced commercial yard and sent Canine Kenzo to find them. When Canine Kenzo stopped responding to his handler, deputies went to investigate. They They found Canine Kenzo unresponsive under a trailer near the suspect. K-9 Kenzo was transported to a veterinary hospital where he passed away. The suspect was arrested and charged with suspicion of armed robbery and aggravated robbery. One subject was also charged with killing and harming a work or service animal. The other subject was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. K-9 Kenzo had uh, served with the Pima County Sheriff's Department for almost two years. Well, we definitely pay tribute to that K-9 and all the fallen officers and canines that have fallen in the line of duty. Woody, uh, I guess, you know, what we want to say is thanks to you again and, and Watts Creative Studios, Grove Street FM. And, and uh, you know, of course, we're going to invite people, Woody, to, to check out some of your personal podcasts out there. Hell, you're talking about something from uh, Bigfoot all the way to r- true crime and everything else. Is that right? That's right. All over the place. Depends <laughs> on what mood I'm in. <laughs> That's it. And and I guess you have the uh, scanner feed for, for our, you know, for our you know, a law enforcement agencies. Yep. And also, do you have a weather feed now too? I or? do. I have a weather forecast and the actual NOAA weather feed for this area. That's cool. And what's yeah. the website again? It is, if you go to, here's the easy way to download the app. Go to grovestreetfmapp.com. Go to that on your cell phone and it has links to the Apple Store or Google Play. Uh, and you can download the app and take advantage of all this stuff. Well, we really appreciate it. And Woody's not only our friend, but he's the one that makes all this possible with all the equipment and all the expertise to bring these uh, podcasts to you. So we're very grateful to have Woody as part of our family. Yes, thank you. Joe, is there anything else you want to say before we close out? Nope. Um, I haven't listened to the Bigfoot podcast yet, but I highly recommend the Route 29 Stalker because I have listened to the entire thing all the way, all of them. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it, folks, is sometimes we talk about some difficult uh you know, type incidents and, and material here on Cop Talk, but uh, you can always go to Grove Street FM and that app and listen to some of these things that uh, you can listen to for entertainment, you know, and, and just relax and and uh, enjoy your evening. And there's stuff there for kids too, so check out the stuff that uh, Woody has with uh, Grover. Absolutely. And uh, is it, I can't remember the girl's name. 
Gabby. 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 I didn't want to call her Glenda, but that's not it. That's <laughs> close <laughs> enough. Grover and Wendell and Gabby and all the rest. Make sure you check it out. There's something there for everybody. So that's right. And folks, we just want you always to remember that we're your friends, we're your neighbors, and most of all, we are your police department, and we thank you for your support. I'm Captain Robert Kimbrell. I'm Sergeant Joe Bedford. Peace out.